yesterday after uh, the homegoing service for Miss Hankins, I, I drove to Jasper because I got a good friend. Been my friend since we were in high school. We've been friends. And uh, he's in a nursing home over there. He's uh, 56 years old. Had a couple of strokes. And uh, the Lord told me I need to go spend some time with him. And I walked out of that nursing home, rehabilitation center, and was overwhelmed with how good God has been to me. I wasn't trying to feel sorry for Vince, my friend, because he knows the Lord well. That was much of our conversation. I'm not concerned about that. In fact, his last comment to me was, he can't wait until he can run up in 45th Street and testify about how good God has been to him. But too much and too often, we take for granted the daily blessing that God has given us. We take it for granted every day. The ability to move on our own, to do things for ourselves. His world is reduced to that room that he's sharing with someone. He's been in there for months. And here I go and jump in to a car and drive and go where I want to and do what I want to do. And you mean God's going to be that good to me every day. And I won't praise him. I won't. I won't thank him for how good he's been. He tells me when I left, he said, kiss Karen for me. He asked me about my children. Now, he's got wife, children. But in that place, I know it's a refining place because you sit there and you think about what you have and you start to count and number the goodness of God. And so when friends come through the door, you thank God for somebody who will drive 50 miles to come see you. As I was stepping out of the door, his roommate, I said, thank you for taking care of my friend. He said, he's a blessing to me, to all of us. He said, he keeps us encouraged while we're in here. I said, he's always been that way. What you don't know is after we graduated from high school, where we were friends, the first day I showed up at Tuskegee, Vince found me on campus and walked me all over campus. 
showing me where everything was. He gave me my own private tour of Tuskegee Institute to welcome me to the school. That's the kind of friend Vince is and has been that way for 30, 40 years. Thank God for Vince Pettis. Pray for him. And why do I say that? Because I'm guilty of not praising God enough. I'm guilty of not being grateful enough. I look at obvious blessings and take them for granted. I wake up in the morning and somehow there's a spirit of expectation that this is supposed to be that way. That I'm not supposed to have to be grateful for things God, because have I been good enough for God to bless me like this? I know I haven't. I know I've been wrong. I know I've done things that have not been pleasing to him. And still, he blesses me. Take it for granted. Making, making plans with my life without consulting him. Without asking him if it's what he wants me to do. As if I'm in charge of me. Thank you, Lord. You ought to love your folk. Thank God who gave them to you. I've been struggling, I've been in a place for months now with respect to preaching and leading. I'm asking you to pray for me. Because we struggle too. We struggle too. I left my handkerchief down there. We have, thank you, issues in life that we have to deal with, and yet we have to keep on keeping on. And so many times when I come up with a sermon series, I'm asking, can this bless me? As I'm blessing you, what is it that I need in order to grow and get strength from Casanova? You know, it's not, maybe that's selfish, but I figure that if I'm struggling with it, then maybe somebody else is struggling with that too. And one of the things I want to know is how can I know Jesus better? How can I understand more about him, which is why we delve into uh, this series of miracles. You know God is still performing miracles today. Jesus is still blessing folk in mighty, mighty powerful ways. And just when man said it is not going to be this way, God says, I'm still in charge. And he shows us that he's in charge. And he does it in a way that only he could do so that there's no question about who did it. Because man will claim credit for something real quick. And so that's what these, these miracles show us, that Jesus Christ came here showing us that he was in charge of things that man wasn't supposed to be in charge of. The prophets had long predicted that if Messiah came or when Messiah came, he would be able to prove that he was in charge of certain aspects of life. So as I've walked through these miracles, I've tried to show you, I showed you in the first sermon, that he was in charge of the physical elements of the earth because he made a storm be quiet. He made a storm be still. That's what Messiah was predicted to do. I also have shown you 
that he's in charge of our physical bodies. There are a number of, of healings that took place in the Bible. We'll talk about one today, but he's in charge of those maladies that we could not control ourselves, and he does it in a way that leaves no doubt that Jesus has done it or God has intervened into man's life. And that's what the woman with the issue of blood that immediately stopped after 12 years. Just because her authentic faith came in touch with Jesus' divinity and stopped, stopped the problem she had. And so today I want you to turn to a thrice verified miracle, three times verified. Matthew, Mark, and Luke write about it. They all write about it. It's consistent. I want to read the Mark version. But it's for your purposes of notice. Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34. Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. I'll read that in a moment. And Luke 18. 35 through 43. TJ, when I first started here, I could put stuff down on the pulpit and read it. Now I have to use my glasses. Or else I'll read anything. I mean, y'all don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't even. Life changes. Life changes. Now, you don't have to get older to need glasses. Young folks need glasses too, but just keep living, somebody said. I heard you say it. It showed the truth. Just keep living. Mark 10 reads, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, or Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, underline, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Today I want to just for a little while talk about what the blind man saw. 
what the blind man saw. If you read through the other gospels that I didn't read in your hearing, you'll get other tidbits of the story because people see things from different perspectives. And of course we know that Luke, I say it again, was not there that we know of anyway. And so he would have had to get his version from other folks who were there. At any rate, it still provides a validation for what was going on in that moment. And you get a pretty good picture that Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem. Now you should know that when he gets to Jerusalem, he'll be rejected by the Jews. While there were many people flowing with him, there were also people who reject him. They don't understand the nature of his ministry. They can only think of ministry from a worldly perspective. One has to come in with power and might and exercise authority and dominion and take your stuff. That's the example that the church at that time was giving. Jesus was doing a completely different thing. He wasn't taking, he was giving. He wasn't harsh, he was loving. He was confusing people as he went along. And because of that, many could only stand back in awe of what Jesus was doing. Not only would the, would the Jews betray him into the hands of the Gentiles, he would later be crucified on a Roman cross. And so if you look at this from the standpoint of a chronological timeline, Jesus is literally moving to the cross as he walks. He's surrounded by people who cannot understand who he is. The Jews are blind to who he is. Though he tried to tell them and show them, he has ministered them, he's shown them that he can open up the scriptures in an amazing way, and yet they are blind to who he is. The disciples are blind to who he is. Even though they've been with him and marching with him as he's been in his ministry, they still can't see who he is. They've watched him heal other people. They've watched him not only heal folk who just brush up against him, they've watched him, and I haven't done this one, but they've watched him raise someone from the dead without even being in the same city that the person was in. They've watched him remove demons from someone suffering from a possession, mental illness. They've watched him have a conversation with demons and cast them into a herd of pigs. They've watched him do all these things that nobody else could do, and even though they've watched him do it, they still can't see who he is. Those around him would not recognize or see just who Jesus was until he was gone. And so as he makes his way into Jerusalem, he and his disciples passed through the city of Jericho. 
The name Jericho means to smell or a place of fragrance, so named because of the topography of that area that allowed for plants and flowers to flourish. And because of that, there were many famous flowers in that area, many famous roses, uh, balsam and cypress grew in that area. And you can imagine, if you remember from school, that because there were so many flowers there, there probably were also a lot of bees. Because it takes bees to help pollinate flowers. And when there's a lot of bees, you're probably going to have some honey. And so this area was known for its honey production. Probably still is to this day, producing. It was a city of fragrant, fragrant Excuse me, smells. A city that lived up to its name, a place of fragrance. Little did they know, even though the city was known for all of these wonderful smells, they didn't know, Cass, that the Rose of Sharon was about to walk through the middle of the street. They didn't even recognize it when the lily of the valley was there standing among them. The greatest fragrance that would ever pass through Jericho was blowing through on wind that day. And it was a special day. On that particular day, they were celebrating the Passover. And so the streets were crowded. I always want to put this into a can-you-see-it context. Because some reason we think it's like or a coloring book page, or we think it's like some one-dimensional activity. These were people. They were in town on holiday. They were going about their business, and they were doing the things that you do. Can you imagine it's before Easter, and you're trying to get all your stuff together, and not just you, but all the folk around you are doing the things that need to be done. You see the line at the honey-baked ham store, because don't nobody cook them no more. I know that because I see some of y'all in line with me getting it. You see folk in the grocery store getting the stuff that you can't buy at the Honey Bay Ham store. People were busy. They were preparing. They were getting ready for a holiday. And because of it, they were festive, having a good time. They weren't paying attention to things that didn't draw their attention. They were going about their business. And there in the midst of them are those people. You don't pay attention to them. We overlook them. I call them the ghosts of society. They live out there on the fringes. They've become so negligible in our thinking that you can pass by them and not even notice them and yet they're somebody's child. They're somebody's father, somebody's husband, brother, sister. There's somebody out there that cares about them, and yet they blend in, Deacon Hudson, to the surroundings so much that if you don't trip over them, you'll miss them. These people didn't just start living in our time. Jesus said the poor 
you will always have among you. That never rings home until you are in the population of the poor. Then you understand exactly what he's talking about. When you're not the one in distress, when you're not the one struggling, when you're not the one in need, sometimes you don't pay attention to the ones who are. But can I tell you this? America has fooled us. America has made us believe that we live in a world that is abundantly blessed. The truth of the matter is, we live in a country that is abundantly blessed. And even among us, there are people who don't have anything. But when you get outside the environs of the United States, there is poverty that exists in ways that we could never even imagine. There are people who couldn't imagine just having the stuff you've lost in your car to own for themselves. I guarantee you, you can go out here and find more money in your car than they would have in a year. Yeah, that makes you feel a little, mm. That's how much we take for granted, the blessings that God has given us. On that road that day, as people were crowding along the way, they were peeking and peering and trying to see what is this rush of activity concerning this group that's walking through the street. Many of them did not know who this man was, but they knew there was a lot of excitement about him. And so just like anything else, they wanted to see who this Jesus was. Him and his disciples who were trying to block him, to keep folk from him. They walked down the street and there on the side of the road were various people. One of them, Deacon Miles, was a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had already accosted Jesus. Yeah, he accosted his senses, not his physical being, because he went up in a tree to get a better look at him. And part of the getting up in the tree was because he was not the kind of person that everyday folk would have helped. He couldn't have said, let me get in front of you, even though he was a little man, because nobody liked him. Okay. He worked for the IRS <laughs> of Rome, and nobody wanted to talk to him. Yeah, we still treat IRS folk like that, like they come get our money from us personally, but he did. And most IRS employees or tax collectors uh, were not only taken for Rome, they were taken for home, too. And that's a problem. And so Zacchaeus was given a treat that day he saw Jesus, though, because Jesus spied him in the tree and saved his soul that day and told him, come down, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house and have dinner with you. He drew in sinners, as the Bible says, and tax collectors. That, that's how bad tax collectors were. In the line of people that were bad, tax collectors came after sinners. And so he saved. Oh, that's important now. He saved the worst of the worst that day. But there was a man sitting on the side of the road who could not see what was going on. He could not see the crowd. 
I'm sure he could feel the energy. It was different. I'm sure he could feel the hustle and bustle, but he couldn't see what was happening. His name was Bartimaeus. He was blind. We don't know why he was blind. Many factors could have caused it. Disease of the day caused blindness. Poor sanitary conditions caused blindness. Water would cause problems because it had to be distilled. Water could carry all sorts of problems, which is why you hear so much about them not drinking water but drinking wine because the wine had gone through a process that would have killed the bacteria. And Bartimaeus struggled on the side of the road. He was blind. But you got to know in that day, if you were blind, you were also broke. Because there was no public welfare. There was nobody there to help you get your life together. If you were blind in that day, the means you had of collecting revenue was by begging, by asking, by the generosity of others. God would only hope that you would be born into a family that had means enough to take care of you if you were blind. But if, in fact, that was not your lot in life, if you were born blind with no family to take care of you, no one to go see about you, then you would have been the most piteous of people. Because the only way you could have taken care of yourself in this dog-eat-dog society was to sit on the side of the road and beg for alms or beg for somebody, please give me, give me something. He was sitting there that day doing what he did every single day, and that was begging, constantly begging. Now, don't think that people have different emotions today than they had at that time. You know how it feels when somebody's standing on the side of the road begging right now. If you're walking through Lynn Park and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, can you help me out with a couple of dollars? You know how you feel right then and there. The first thing you say is, man, get off me. It's the same way then. People mistreated him. People called him out of his name. People probably pushed him and got him away, which is why he, and he was in, he was old. So he probably just took up a station somewhere and would sit there and if someone had the notion to help him, they would. He would have lived a wretched life. A wretched life. Bartimaeus had a problem with his optics. But that's not the same as a sinner who has problems with his soul. Bartimaeus had something wrong with his eyes, but the lost sinner's got something wrong with his heart. Bartimaeus would have used his eyes if he could have, but a lost sinner wouldn't use his spiritual eyes even if he had them. But for all the things that Bartimaeus lacked in this life, there were certain things that even a blind man could see. And that's the message that you need to draw from Jesus' miracle that day, that even a blind man like Bartimaeus could see that this man was Jesus the Christ. Because he wasn't looking with his physical eye, he was looking with his heart's eye. He was looking with his hope glasses, and along comes hope and meets the giver of hope. 
And he knows, even though he can't see him, that this is the one who can make a difference in my life. When he said, what's going on today? The scripture says right there, who, he said, who's coming? Or who is that? And the person said, Jesus of Nazareth. And something on the inside clicked in Bartimaeus. And he said, I got to get to that man named Jesus. I don't know if because sitting on the side of the road for so long, he had heard folk coming by saying, they say there's a man named Jesus who's been giving sight to the blind, who's been healing lepers. Maybe he overheard Zacchaeus at his tax collecting station when he was shutting it down forever when he said, I was doing pretty good, me and my family. But along came Jesus of Nazareth and he turned my world upside down. You never know what folk are ear hustling when you are out there talking about how good God has been. But you ought to be caught talking about how good God has been. Somebody ought to overhear that God has been good to you. You might be the conduit for somebody wanting to know more about Jesus, but you got to do some talking. I believe if I look around this room, there's somebody in here who ought to be able to testify about how good God has been. Somebody in here ought to have a story they can tell somebody. The question is, will anybody overhear you talking about Jesus? Are you trying to be a silently saved and sanctified saint? Or are you out there talking about how good God has been? Are you too shy with your salvation? You ought to be telling somebody, God's been good to me. Bartimaeus could see that this was Jesus. Not only that, Bartimaeus could see another thing, Deacon Barrett, that this was his only chance. Oh, oh yeah, this was his only chance. And when you get somebody down to their last chance, you got a desperate somebody on your hand. And so it didn't matter what the folk around him were saying. He said, I'm getting to this man that day. I'm going to get up and I'm going to get to him. He already knew without Jesus saying that Jesus was the way. Jesus was the truth and he was the life. And that he had to get to him to change his circumstances, even though he was physically blind. Bartimaeus could see that the crowd was wrong. They were trying to stop him. How many of y'all have ever stopped doing something that turned out to be right because folk told you not to do it? Folks say, don't do that. That ain't going to work for you. What they were doing was playing out their fears in your life. And you allowed their fears to take control of your circumstances. And guess who missed a blessing? Now, let me tell you this. Don't always think that the folk who are going to stop you from doing that are strangers. Sometimes it's your family that stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. You know, one of the reasons they say don't is because they never have. They've never had the courage to try to do it themselves. And so they say, don't do it. I had to learn as a parent early on not to play my fears in my children's lives. They would come to me and say, I want to try this. And the first thing I would do is put me in that place and say, would I try to do that? I had to stop doing that because they have got to take their own chances in life. 
they've got to have their own successes and guess what failures too but it's not for me to put myself in that place if I listen and it, I would seek counsel but most of the time we seek counsel with folk who think like us And so all they do is come in and validate what we already think in the first place. When they come in and they say, well, I wouldn't do it. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, I said the same thing. Now I know I'm right on this. Yeah. You need to find someone who is objectively even with you who tells you enough wrong as they do right in terms of what you ought to do, who says to you, yes, that's good, about as much as they say, no, don't do that. That's somebody who is more objective. But if anybody just tells you, yeah, or agree with everything you do all the time, that's not advice. That's a yes man. Yes man can't help you think the way you need to. An old woman. Yeah, but it's hard keeping folk around us who tell us we wrong all the time. It's hard. And yet, that's what we need to do. But the crowd was wrong that day, y'all. The crowd said, sit down, Bartimaeus. Don't get up, Bartimaeus. Leave Jesus alone, Bartimaeus. Jesus is busy, Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus said, whatever today may bring at the end, it will not end without me getting to Jesus Christ. Come what may, you may take me out of here. Taking me out of here can't be worse than how I'm living right now. I'm getting to Jesus today. And when you get to that place of desperation like that, there's nothing on earth that can, on earth that can stop you. I get tired of people telling me time after time about why they can't do something they want to do. And I tell them, you haven't gotten desperate enough. Because if that's what somebody's telling you to do, that's what you got in your heart to do every day, then you'll do it. You'll do it. You'll put the consequences aside and you'll do it. Or else it's going to wear you out emotionally that you have never, ever done that thing. Bartimaeus had made up in his mind, Pam, I'm getting to Jesus. I don't care what you say. You can bring all the bouncers from all the clubs and all the cities everywhere. They will not stop me from getting on the dance floor today. Don't act like y'all don't know what bouncers and clubs are. Bartimaeus could also see that he'd have to make a fool of himself in the eyes of the world. There are a lot of things we'll make a fool of ourselves for. Some of them have lesser importance than others. I can tell you making a fool for love is one thing you won't forget, you won't regret. Yeah, I gladly make a fool for myself of myself for love. I will, because the returns are incalculable. But I don't know about making a fool for myself for a job. No, some people will do it. Yeah, I don't know if I'll make a fool of myself for money. No, of things that have consequence, of people. I'll make a fool for myself for my children. In fact, some things that I thought I was making a fool of myself for, actually, I, I should have done it. It was just an affectionate way. Because, see, men got these things that we think we shouldn't be doing publicly anyway. 
And I live with a small degree of regret that sometimes I didn't push that aside and be more affectionate than I was at that time. That's not making a fool of yourself. That's just really being daddy. And there's no limit to the definition of being daddy when it comes to loving your children. I still remember an airport in Alexandria, Louisiana, when I should have dropped my bags and grabbed my baby. I should have. And she came running to me saying, dada, dada, dada. I should have dropped the bags and picked her up. Instead, I was concerned about her running on the runway. And so I'm trying to protect her and get her out of the way. But we should have had a magic moment at that point. I'm telling you, you'll make a fool for yourself of certain things, all right? Bartimaeus learned that day that it was okay to make a fool for himself when it came to getting saved and when it came to getting healed, and he didn't have a problem doing that. All they that live for Christ will suffer persecution. People will look at you like you are out of your mind at some point. Get used to it and get ready for this walk. If you're going to live right, the world will not like it. Stop trying to fit in where you don't fit in. You are not of this world. Stop it. You're going to look like an outsider because you are an outsider and we we spend all our efforts trying to be normal when we're abnormal in this place. Bartimaeus could also see that there was no turning back. Sometimes, once you step over the line, you over the line. Once you commit yourself to something, you have to see that all the way through, and he saw that. He could also understand and see the reality of his condition. It's not getting any better. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse. Most of the time, people cannot change their circumstances because they will not accept the reality of their condition. They only see their lives through rose-colored glasses, and they don't understand that it's already tore up from the floor. And if they don't do something significant, they don't do something radical, it's not going to change. Bartimaeus decided he was going to do something radical. And lastly, Bartimaeus knew this. The one thing that fools us in this is we come into the story of Bartimaeus having to accept the condition that we find him in when we meet him, and that is blind. What we do not understand is how he got there. We don't know his backstory. We don't know his parents. And we don't know the circumstances of his upbringing past. And because we don't know that, we don't know if he had a praying grandmama. We don't know if he had a mom and a daddy that took him to temple and taught him that there is one who come along who can bless you and take care of you. We don't know how he got the hope in him, but we do know that he knew he was born blessed. Hear me now, I might be blind but I'm blessed. I might not have all the physical things that other folk have, but I can tell you I'm blessed. I might not have all of the things that this world can give, but I am blessed. Even sitting on the side of the road begging, I can tell you I'm still blessed. And I, because he could see, and because he knew 
he was blessed. He never doubted his purpose for being born. He never doubted that he was just going through a period in his life and it was not going to be the conclusion. Can I tell you right now, if you're going through a rough spot in life, if you find yourself cornered by circumstances, know this, that your condition is not your conclusion. He knew that. He knew that. He knew that because I'm sitting here today doesn't mean I'll be sitting here always. Doesn't mean that when my change comes, I won't be able to take advantage of it. And his change came walking down the street that day, named Jesus. And he knew, and he took advantage of the fact by calling out to Jesus. And look, as soon as his hope met Jesus, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Everything changed that day for Jesus. Bartimaeus, when Jesus came walking, came walking by, Bartimaeus knew that in order for Christ to fulfill Bible prophecy, he would know how to heal blind eyes. He knew he met one of those conditions. He just prayed that Jesus would use him as one of his test cases or validation cases. And the Lord said, today, your faith has made you whole. Wasn't the fact that you got up and hollered it's the fact that you know I'm the one that can bring healing to you. You see who I am. You see the God in me. And because you see the God in me, I'm validating your faith and your hope. And it's your hope that has healed you. Somebody came today with that kind of hope in their heart. Somebody realizes that Jesus Christ is the way. Somebody understands that Jesus is the one who can change your circumstances. My question to you today is, are you going to take advantage of the opportunity? Jesus is here just like you were walking down the street in Jericho that day. He's here. He doesn't have to be physically present to bless you. But you do have to recognize who he is. Do you know that he was born of Mary? Do you know that he lived in Bethlehem, that he moved on to Nazareth? Do you know that he died on a cross outside of Jerusalem? Do you know that he was buried in a borrowed tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem? Do you know on that third day, like Bible prophecy said, he was rebuilt, he was born again? Do you know that after his resurrection, he went on to live with, Jesus, with the Lord in heaven, and there he is today. If you know all these things about him or you come to realize them, then my question to you is, can you see that he came for you? Do you understand that he is a savior who was designed just for you? He's walking by your life right now. Are you gonna call out to him for him to heal you as well? While the choir stands to sing this song, the same Jesus is extending to you his invitation to love. Won't you come right now?